So yeah, a lot of what I personally teach is not even the farming and gardening and all that other stuff. It's what I want to see people, you know, do what they love in the world. I want them to spend their life doing what they love. And the universe, it supports that. You're listening to the Sharing Insights Podcast, a show where we explore stories, strategies, and insights from ecologically and socially beneficial projects throughout Costa Rica. These stories provide landowners everywhere access to unique ideas to inspire better business models for greater success and impact. My name is Jason, and I'm a co-founder of one of these unique places. I've been visiting with other owners of impact centers to discuss the successes, challenges, and insights that they've earned along the way. Join me on the adventure. A more sustainable world awaits. You're about to listen to my first interview, just six months after I decided I was going to embark on this podcast journey. It's been a lot of work and learning curves to get to this point, but sitting down with Susanna has made it all worth it. Susanna runs a rural homestead with a volunteer program where guests can integrate into a number of activities required to keep the place going. We discuss topics like how to find volunteer managers and administrative support, helping guests find their passions, and how to keep people engaged and happy. She starts us off with a remarkable story about how she was called to come to Costa Rica and live this enriching lifestyle. Finca Amrita has hosted thousands of volunteers over the years, many of whom have had life-changing experience. Let's take a dive into what it can be like to host people in your home and invite them into new ways of living. Hi, Susanna. Hi, Jason. <laughs> so wonderful to be with you today. Uh, as you know, this is my first episode, my first recording, and I really would prefer it to be with no one else oh, but you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be doing this with you. Really happy. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, it's great to visit Finca Amrita after it's been some years since I've been here. And, you know, really, you were one of the, the first people that we really felt a dear friendship with when we moved here 12 years oh. ago. And uh, yeah, for the listeners, I just want to let you know a little bit about Susanna. She moved here uh, some 27 years ago or so mm-hmm. from maybe more than that, closer to 30. 1989. 1989. Over 30. Wow. And uh, yeah, came here on vacation. I'll let her tell you a little bit about that. But she set up camp and she has one of the longest standing. And in my opinion, from what I've seen, one of the most harmonious uh, volunteer programs out of a lot of places that I've been to. And so that's what we're here to talk about a little bit is how you do it, how you make it happen. And uh, and really the spirit of yourself is one of the things that's uh, a major ingredient, but I'm sure you got plenty more to share. But first, tell us a little bit about how you came to buy land in Costa Rica. It's an interesting story. And I like to, I like to tell it because it just shows how life just flows in such amazing ways. But we lived in Hawaii on the island of Maui and we had an acre of land and we realized we needed more because we really wanted to do, be sustainable and, and grow a lot of food and have animals. And so we looked all over all the different islands of Hawaii, but nothing was right. Nothing seemed right at all. So... We ended up going to California because a friend of ours had died and we went for a memorial. And at that time, we went to see a friend of Miguel's, who's my 
partner here on the farm. And he had a little eight-year-old boy. And this little eight-year-old boy I fell in love with. And I mean fell in love with. And he told me he had never, he had not seen his mother in five years. And I went, what? And he goes, no, I haven't seen my mom in five years. And I'm like, you need your mother. So I said, if I ever go to Costa Rica, and by the way, I had no intention of coming to Costa Rica. If I ever go to Costa Rica, I'm going to take you with me to see your mother. I just said it because I needed to say it, but we had no plans. We were not coming to Costa Rica. But within the next six months, we had decided that we'd come to Costa Rica on a vacation, okay? So when the father of the little boy found out about this, he had just fallen off a roof and hit his head, and he was not doing well. And he, the little boy told him that Susanna said that, that she would take me to see my mom when they go, and they're going, you know? And so he called, the father of the little boy called us in Hawaii. Miguel answered the phone, and the father said, okay, I hear you're going to Costa Rica. Are you going to um, take Oliver with you? And he goes, what? And he put his hand on the phone. He goes, we are not taking an eight-year-old boy on our honeymoon. And I go, Yes, we are. Uh -huh. Okay, so that's the first part of it. The second part of it is that there was a woman in Costa Rica who said, there's a farm for sale in Costa Rica, and I really want to move there. Will you go there and check on it and see? Uh, tell me about the farm. And, I, and we go, yeah, sure, we will. We're going, you know. So we had forgotten about what she said. And so then we are at the airport. We picked up the little boy. We're at the airport in California, in San Francisco. We're just about ready to get on the plane. But Miguel said, what about that lady that wants us to look at the farm for her? And I go, oh, yeah, I forgot about her. So he called her from the airport. And she said, oh, will you do it, please? You need to look up a man named Ted Bernhardt. And we said, is that all you can tell us? And he said, yes, Ted Bernhardt, you'll find him. So we have this little boy. The father gave us $30. The little boy ate $30 worth of food at the airport. Right. <laughs> Miguel's getting madder by the minute, right? <laughs> and we come to Costa Rica, and we have the, of course, have the phone number of the, of the mother, because she knew we were coming with the little boy. And we called the phone number. And the lady goes, I don't know who you're talking about. This, you know, and we kept, we called her two or three times and we said, we have this little boy. She goes, I don't know who you're talking about and hung up on us. Uh -huh. And Miguel's like, the whole two months, we have an eight-year-old boy with us. <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, I guess. Anyway, we find the little boy. We find the mother and the little boy gets connected with the mother. And I'm going to cry now because it was so beautiful. The, you know, she didn't know. I mean, he stole her. He just, she woke up one day and the baby was, and the three-year-old was gone. So, so she said, come visit us sometime. You know, while you're in Costa Rica, we have a farm down in the, in the southern part, in, in, the southern, in the Zona Sur. And I said, we said, okay. So she gave us how to find them, how to find their farm. And we came and... We're there with them, and it turns out that she's married to Ted Bernhardt. Okay. Okay. And this was the farm, and he took us here. And he had to, his, his farm is two farms down that way. He cut away a path 
through the through the jungle and brought us here. And from the top of the road to the river, you could not walk anywhere without a machete. It was completely overgrown. And he took us to the river, and we got in the river and swam. And and we go, oh my God, it's beautiful, you know. And so we saw the farm, and then we went and traveled and picked up the boy on the way home and took him to Guatemala. And anyway. Then we get back to Maui, Hawaii, and we call the woman. And she goes, you know, I don't think I want to move to Costa Rica. And Miguel looked at me and said, why don't we buy the farm? And I go, no way. We're not moving to Costa Rica. No possible way. And he goes, it was very inexpensive in those days, too, by the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, compared to Hawaii, Mm -hmm. it was so inexpensive. So he talked me into it, and we bought the farm. That's how we found this farm. It was really magical, you know, because, you know, so then we bought the farm and we had to sell our business and everything. And we came here and it was and it was just uh, it was overgrown. I mean, we ever, you couldn't walk anywhere without a machete to get from place to place. And went. so we just decided and I was a lot younger. I was 30 years younger. So I had a lot, I still have a lot of energy, but not like that, you know. But anyway, and that's how we found the farm. And then the story about the, the, how we started our volunteer program. Do you want to hear that now? Please, yeah. Okay, so Ed Bernhardt, it's not Ted Bernhardt, it's Ed Bernhardt. He had a volunteer program. So they just gave you the wrong name. They, they gave they us the wrong, the wrong name. name. Right, yeah. because this was 30 years ago and there was no internet and there was yeah. word of mouth exactly. 3,000 miles away. And how are we right. going to find Ted Bernhardt <laughs> right. in the country? Uh-huh. How we, and we end up going to his house. Yeah. Okay. Actually, we'll be visiting Ed next week. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. That, mm-hmm. He's wonderful. Yeah. He's wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But, okay, so I we had this business in Hawaii, and it was like, if I went away from my office, I would come back and there'd be 30 messages for me. I was on the phone all the time, and just it was like, and that's not me. It's not me at all. And, uh, and so... I came here and I thought, I want to be alone, alone. I want to do my music. I want to do my gardening. I want to do my art. I want to do, I want to be alone. You know, I don't want, I don't want to be around people. I've been around people for, for the whole business thing. I, I want to be alone. So Ed has, a, Ed has a volunteer program on his farm. And it was a month long. And when they would be done with there, they'd come here. And they'd hang out with us. And they decided, that was the very beginning of our volunteer program. And it wasn't so bad. It was a couple people. But then the word got out. And tons and tons of people started wanting to come here. And this is another part of the story that's interesting. And I don't want to scare everybody, but I'm going to tell you it, okay? I was getting so burnt out on having people on the farm that one day... I said, could you all go to the beach for the weekend? Because mm-hmm. I just want to have a day to myself. Do you know this story? No. no I know I, the feeling. <laughs> I, just wanna, I just want a day to myself. Miguel was working in the States, and I just wanted to be alone. And I said, could, could you guys just go to the beach for the weekend? I, I just want a couple days off, you know? And so they did. And I was so excited. I was so excited about it. And I... Woke up in the morning and I was alone and I walked down to the river and I was going to, I was going to get on this rock that I like to get on to meditate all by myself. And I was so happy and I got bit by a tercio pelo. Whoa. 
This wow. was in 2001. And for those that don't know, a torsiopella is a Flor de lance or a pit viper snake that's highly venomous and commonly kills not only people, but like horses and stuff. So yeah, that's not a small bite. And I was here alone. <laughs> My goodness. And so uh, whatever, you know, how that unfolded was, there's another whole part of that, but it turned out that Ed came and got me and carried me up to the top of the hill and their son found a driver to take me to the hospital. And I, that, all, that was just an experience. There's not a lot of terciopelos. I, I want to make that known. It was just that one in 2001. It happened right before 9-11, okay? <laughs> so meanwhile, I can't, do, I can't walk for like two months. Because, so much for your pleasant little day off, right? Yeah. Oh and so I started doing my art. And what I did, and oh, I was so upset about getting bit by a snake because I thought, what did I do to deserve this? I did, what did I do? You know, why is my karma? How could this happen? So the two months that I couldn't walk, I did drawings, and the and I was afraid. I wouldn't even. I couldn't even think of going down to the river. I was just like, <gasps> I was so afraid. And then I would do drawings, and I felt. And I had the drawing snakes all around me, kissing me and me kissing snakes. It was the only way that I could work to, f to get through this. And finally, I was told really clearly, really clearly, you are meant to do this. You have a purpose on this earth in your lifetime. And that purpose is to bring people, let people come to your farm and learn what it is to live this kind of lifestyle. And I just surrendered and then from then on, which was 2001, we've had thousands of people come through. And I finally just surrendered to it and went, this is what I'm doing. And got totally into it and wasn't, I wasn't fighting it anymore. And from then on, I went, this is what I'm doing. And so whenever it would come up in my heart and my mind that, oh, this is getting, this is so hard. And I would think, oh my God, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I would read the guest book because I had all of the volunteers sign the book when they left. And most of them, 90% of them said, this place has changed my life in ways that I can't thank you enough for. My life has changed radically. And it's because of this farm and what you've taught us. So I go, I, this is what I have to do. There's no, there's no arguing about it. I have to do this. And so I totally got into it. And, Sometimes I slip. It's a slippery slope. I go, I want to be alone, but, you know. Yeah, you're doing the good work. It's important, really. It's so important, especially now. Yeah. So you've got all these 25 years of Lord knows how many hundreds of people that you've hosted here. And out of all the people that want to do something like this, it's pretty common for people to choose to invite others to come and help, right? A volunteer program, a work exchange. Uh, many times it's, you know, they offer free full work exchange, especially like woofing farms that are producing a profit. So there's a lot of programs that they're producing a profit. They've got a system. They plug their volunteers into it. They're washing the eggs or whatever it is. And the farm is making money and that's feeding the people, housing them, buying new sheets and everything else that it requires. And then there's other programs that, uh, 
you know, require a fee because there's more of an educational element in it and it's a more varied number of tasks. I think your project and mine are more along those lines where people are really coming in and they're learning a lot. And so um, in the course of either one of those options comes in any number of challenges with making the program sustainable for the host as much as for the guests. And so, I don't know, do you have any uh, maybe advice that you could share for people that want to get a volunteer program started, whether there's a fee included or not, and just maybe even what you think about the difference between the two? Yeah, that would be, that would be good. Um, I think it depends, like you said, on if the if the farm is producing a lot and getting a lot of income, whether you can charge a volunteer or not. Um, in this case, we don't get a lot of income. We don't have a lot of you know. We're not selling a lot of stuff. We sell some stuff, you know. And it, but um, we we have always charged very little, and we provide a lot of food, but. Um, I've never heard anybody complain about about that at all, ever. You know, and in fact, they always want to give me more than yeah. what, what I'm asking for. Um, this is, you know, it it. Oh, you know, there are some people that have done work exchanges here over the years. Like when I find someone who is super sharp and super together, usually a Virgo or something they become my farm manager and that's a work exchange. That's mm -hmm. a complete work exchange. Other than that, people pay and um, it's not that much. It helps us take, it helps us with our expenses. And, um, but here, you know, they're learning, they're learning so much here. It isn't just gardening and farming. It's, you know, we teach medicinal medicine, how to make medicinal medicines, how to do all kinds of cooking things and, you know, uh, you know, kombucha and and making the medicines has been really an amazing experience for a lot of people. And and ask you what kind of medicines that it's just uh, you know to? salves. We make salves out mm -hmm. of um, you know our plants, and we do prayers on the plants. We talk to the plants before we use before we pick them, and people have you know a lot of people have gone off and and it's become their career what they do. You know, but. Um, and, you know, it, there's, they're learning a lot here on this farm. And I would suggest, you know, it depends on where the, someone's wanting to do this. Like if they're in a place where, you know, they're producing a lot of stuff and getting a lot of income. Yes, work exchanges. I would do work exchange. I would have done work exchange here, but the cost of living here has gone up and up and up and up. So it's, it's not possible for us to do. It's easier for me to not have anybody here than to have, and then, but you know, and now I'm dependent on the income of the volunteers because of the what we're going through right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's that's important, but um, yeah, I I think it's a great experience if you have a piece of property, either with you know yourself or with a, a, a community of people, to have people come and be on that and experience not only what they're doing on the farm, you know, the 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 gardening and the farming and and the animal care and, you know, all the different things they're learning just to be in a group of people where they're learning uh, how to communicate, which in my mind is super important to communicate with each other, especially if you're living together, you have, you're going to go through things and how to do, you know, mindful communication and 
nonviolent communication. So I think having volunteers is, is a really great thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's going to be a helpful thing in the world, too, to have you know, people who know how to communicate well. And then also, right now, I don't know if, if this is part of, if, of what we are talking about, but because of what the world is going through right now and the chaos that's happening, having a place to grow food and pe- have people there helping you growing food is essential. It's the most important thing we could be learning right now on this planet, you know? So anyway, and then we talked about, uh, well, I'd like to talk about the whole thing. I, I like to teach people all the things that I know here and it feels really good. But my main thing that I want to teach people, and we talked about this, is is to find out what they're passionate about. And it might not be this. It might be something else. But, you know, they don't even address that anymore, like what you're passionate about. You, so that's, you know, to me, this is my passion. And a lot of people that come here, this becomes their passion. But if it's not, it's okay. But it's important to find your your passion because you're living a life. You want to do something that you love all the time. And I love everything I do. Yes. There's not one thing I do that I don't love doing, you know. So, and it's made my life so rich and so full and so beautiful. Yeah, I know the feeling. It's It's really... For me too, as much as I've gotten into other things over the years, um, this whole paradigm of of giving people opportunities to explore themselves, explore more natural ways, more connected ways of living, uh, communally, internal work, all of that, besides just yeah, learning more about growing food and all of that, it's it's the one thing I that I can really get behind a passion for and sustain. So I get it, yeah. When you talk about having, uh, well, both you've, you've talked about having communication skills being an important part of the program, as well as passion. Is there anything that you do actively in your program to help people nurture these conditions or attributes or explorations? Yes, there is. Like we have, you know, group meetings like once or twice a week. Okay. And it's all based on communication. And because and, like when you're living in a group of people, there's always going to be problems. You know, everybody's ego becomes, it's, it's impossible to not have your ego take over, you know. And so uh, we end up having discussions when something, when there's a problem between some some people, we sit, we talk about it, we do nonviolent communication, and um, it works. You know, I've, I'm, you know, like I have really re- learned that any relationship has got to have good communication. That's number one. And good communication comes with training for most of us. We it have does. to relearn it because exactly where we grew up and our environment doesn't necessarily uh, train us in that at a young age right. and. Uh, if anything, our egos are given merit to go off as often as it wants. So in, in these weekly meetings, do you find that you're actively teaching people how to rephrase what they're saying? Definitely. And oftentimes the people that are at the meetings, the volunteers that are here, know more than I, even I do about that because they've, you know, they're, they've been involved in you know, groups and 
they've been teaching nonviolent communication and all that. And so, I mean, I've learned a lot from them. Yeah. I know at my place, we've had a pattern of having weekly meetings. And depending on how many people and how active it is, we tried at one point having like two meetings a week where we'd have a logistics meeting at the beginning of the week. Like, okay, this is the focus for the week. Everybody knows your tasks. There's the board. These are the things that you're going to attend to. And then we would have either that same week or we would alternate the meetings week to week where there would be just a heart circle where everyone would be talking about their experience living together and we wouldn't really get too much logistics involved in that. Is that something that you are determined to keep separate in your meetings? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what kind of frequency do you tend I to think work we with? did one a week. We, yeah. I think we did one or two a week, but that was always like the first day of the week was always, okay, what are we doing this week? Here's the bulletin board. These are all the tasks that need to happen. Sign up for whatever you want to do. And, you know, that was always tasks and that kind of thing. And then the other meeting was more heart to heart, you know, trying to get through any problems that anybody had that people have, which there always are, mm-hmm. and getting through them, you know. And we've had also men's groups and women's groups separate too at times, where the men meet and do their men's group and women meet and do their women's, and then we've had together. Oh, wow. Yeah, it works. It works, but all three are important. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as passion, cultivating passion? Is that just kind of like a one-on-one thing you do when you find somebody that's potent for it? Or have you have any kind of formal approach to that? It's all done while we're working. Yeah. A lot gets done while we're working. A lot of what I really want to pass on and teach gets done while we're working. You know, the working is just that we're doing something, you know, we're present, we're in the moment, and then we start talking about things. And And, you know, like, you know, just to show people how, you know, oh, I have to weed that whole field. And then it's like, oh, I get to weed that whole field. Together with these amazing people. And be singing or being, you know, being, you know, in the moment or have, you know, when you're present, when you're in the present moment doing something, it's so satisfying. You know, it is so satisfying. So, yeah, a lot of what... I personally teach is not even the farming and gardening and all that other stuff. It's what I want to see people, you know, do what they love in the world. I want them to spend their life doing what they love. And the universe, it supports that. So, you know, and I mean, when you're living a life in a big city, in a, in a country where, you know, you got to go to work and you, did, 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 and you know, it's... It's like people have to do that, but it would be wonderful if people can do that with something they love. You know, I really feel that's important. That's one of the most important things, you know. And our culture, like I'll tell you, every time I have a volunteer come through here and we're sitting in the garden and we're weeding and talking or we're doing transplants or whatever, I go, well, what, what are you, what's your passion? What do you love doing? What is the thing that you love doing most in the world? And they go, I don't know. Uh Because our our society does not care what your passion is. It doesn't care. They don't care. Mm -hmm. And like people spend their whole life doing something they don't even want to do. And then they 
and then they're, they're done working and they're retired and then they're lost. So I'm, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of really young people too. And so I'm trying to plant seeds, those kind of seeds, you know, besides the seeds that we're planting in the garden, you know, like seeds of like, enjoy your life, make your life special, make every day special, make everything you do special. It helps to have those reminders. Oof. Yeah. So all of us need those reminders from each other oh, yeah, from it, one time to another. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that comes up with a lot of uh, volunteer programs is it's sometimes, so, especially with unskilled people that are trying to learn and you've only got so much attention you can give to each one of them at any given time. And then you've got your own personal things you need to tend to as well. Have you... How have you dealt with situations, I guess I'm assuming that you've had times where people weren't really following through with their commitment, for instance. And, you know, on an occasion, that's not a big deal. But when you've got somebody here for a month or three and they're just chronically late to start, early to quit, taking lots of breaks, it's, uh, you know, people come for, they want a work exchange, but they, they want they, they want a working vacation, right? And so they come and they're like, oh, I'm going to work exchange and and have my vacation. But then they have those days where they're like, oh, but I actually just want to be on vacation. I want to go to the beach. I want to go to the river. I want to, or they get sick and they're like, oh, well, I was sick for a few days. I know you kept feeding me and I was in your bed, but uh, I, you know, or they go on a town trip and or for an overnight and then they come back and they need like a whole day just to re-arrive and get settled back in. And, and in some cases, it's not a big deal, but it can become chronic with some people that don't have a lot of self-discipline or self-motivation to jump into things that they're maybe not even really too familiar with. And so how, how do you handle that when that kind of thing comes up? That's a great question because... Of all the years I've been here, one, okay, I'll start from the beginning. I have, I always say to people, I want you to be happy doing what you're doing. I want you to feel really good doing what you're doing here. And if you don't feel good doing it, I don't want you to do it because I don't want that energy in my food or in my space. So I'll give you one example. I see a guy working in the garden and I can tell he's not happy. I can tell he's not enjoying himself. And so I walk up to him and I go, are you, are, you, are you happy? Are you enjoying doing this gardening? And he goes, well, to be honest, not really. Uh, my wife is here and she wanted to do this and she wanted me to come with her and so I'm here. And I go, okay, that makes sense. What do you like doing? He goes, well, I'm an artist. And I go, really? And so I take him by the hand and I walk him into the volunteer house and I say, see that wall? Paint that wall and wait till you see it. Mm-hmm. Wait till you see what this guy painted on the wall in the kitchen. You'll see it today. Okay. It is so amazing. Okay, so basically I tell people, I only want, I don't want, I want you to do what you want to do. Okay, if, the, if you're doing a job you don't like, come and tell me. And so they, you know, most of the time they're happy doing what they're doing. Sometimes they're not. And I'll give them something else to do. But this last, this year, I had a young man here who was stuck here because of the pandemic. And I told him, I don't want you really doing anything that you don't want to do. He stayed in his hammock the whole time. 
Okay. And I went, oh my God, this is the first time this has happened. <laughs> the first time? You know, it was the first time. You're good at this. That okay, anybody has ever listened to me and, and like done and gone that far and said, yeah, okay. And he didn't, and, and it was, it was making all the other volunteers really upset. Right. Because he wasn't doing anything, but he, he said, you said, I don't need to do it if I don't want to, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> and I said, okay. So it was a lesson for me. It was a good lesson for me to, you know, to say, you're going to have to do something, but it's not, you know, we'll figure out what you can do, but, um, it's not just sit around in a hammock all day. Right. So redirecting passions is a major component to getting people to follow through with their commitment. Exactly. Right? That's that's a, a huge lesson. That's a huge takeaway because that one little action of you can see somebody not pulling through or not doing a good job. And it's super easy to get disappointed, to develop an opinion and all the emotions and reactions that can come with that. And your approach is to be like, wait a minute, actually maybe there's something else going on and we just need to find out what it is. Exactly. And so taking the time to do that is super impressive. And, but you're saying that in all the years you've been here, you've got, what may I, what, uh, what is the commitment? Like how many hours Four. per day? Four, Four hours, hours per day, a day. And the rest five of days the day. a week? Five days a week. Uh -huh. And the rest of the time they are here, they can do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. So four hours they are on. And it's 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 been really helpful, you know. It's been just and, and it but I have to say one thing too, that um I had to learn, and it was not easy for me, that they're not gonna do it as good as I do it. Right. I had to learn that. And um that was hard. Because, and, and at the first times when they were doing something and it wasn't as good as I would do it and then the plants died or you could tell that it, it was just, it wasn't the right way of doing it. I, I finally went, well, you know, I can do it again. I can start over. I've had to start over many times, yeah. many times, but it was worth it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I taught them how to do it right, you know, but it, it was challenging too, because I could do it all better than anybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's one of the elements to contend with is that, that feeling and then remembering like, yes, I could do any one of those things better, faster, whatever than they are. And I can't do everything. I need help. And really the path toward that is humility, compassion, exactly. patience, surrender, knowing that I've had to redo my own projects enough times that there's totally. no point in getting upset over having to redo somebody else's. Yeah, exactly. those are important elements to keep in mind to stay sane. And can I tell you one really funny story? There was this guy here and he, he um, was doing transplants for me. And I just got up, decided I was gonna say something. And I said, I said, you have to sing while you're doing that. He goes, um, I don't really know how to sing. I go, you know songs, and there's not going to be anybody around you. You're going to be all by yourself. You need to sing. And it was a whole big section, right? And each person had their own section. And he was on that one section the one day. And I don't even know why I said that, but I said, you have to sing. And I left. And he was there by himself. And I heard him singing, okay? And then he left and went on a vacation, and he came back. His plants on his section were the best of the whole entire row. 
And I said, come and see, come and see. This is because you were singing. Okay. (laughs) I don't even know why I did it. It was funny, you know, but it was true, you know. He was all embarrassed, but it was, it worked out really well. So you mentioned something about um, whether you have a manager or not. And I know for myself, that is a huge deal. I've got more uh, that I'm doing outside of the farm and uh, family needs and all kinds of stuff. And really for me, running the program without a manager at this point in my journey is not very practical. And uh, when I've been in between managers, really the, I'm, yeah, like you said, I'd rather have nobody there than be concerned with people not having their needs met, which really my attention is one of their needs. And we, right now our program's going through transition and I don't have any like really regular maintenance needs going on. And I'm lucky enough to have a really great employee from our Pueblo that's keeping up with some things. But the other side of that is when we do have a manager, it is fabulous. It's so awesome to have that person who just gets it. They're part of the team. They know how to do stuff. They're good communicators. And, and then, yeah, it's, it's heaven. And, and then, of course, like all things, it passes and, and you're back to looking or hoping or praying. And, and I'm just wondering, do you have any advice in finding good managers I do. And my, my, here's what I, you know, people will say, um, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time, I think, uh, paying. I want to be there for six months or a year or something. And I, I don't think I can pay the whole time. And I'll say, okay, um, how would you feel about paying for one month and see how it goes? And then you can be my farm manager. So they have to pay the first month. And I see how they work. And sometimes it's not going to work. And sometimes it is. And when it does work, and I see this person have all those qualities that you had mentioned, I go, okay, you can can, um, be my manager. And I love having a manager. So you know what that's like. It's like you tell the manager, they... They get everybody ready. They put everyone on their jobs. When new people come, they find their beds. They get them set up. They do a, a whole you know, meeting with them, an orientation. It's great. I don't know if this is going to sound weird or not, but like Capricorns and Virgos make the best managers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You put that on the application? <laughs> That's your really? sun sign? <laughs> when, I hear, when I hear that, no, I don't. But when I hear that, I go, well, could, this looks like it might work. Because <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> they're so, you know, wanting things perfect. So, yeah, I, I think that um, I give them a one-month trial. Uh-huh. And then after that, do you have like a minimum stay requirement before you make that agreement? No. 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 Hope for the best. I don't like people to, I don't even have a minimum stay agreement even before they come here. Like a lot of people do say you have to stay a month or da, da, da. I I don't even, I mean, how can anyone know they want to stay until they're here and they feel comfortable and they feel like this is where they want to be, you know? And once they're here, you know, I I don't have a minimum, but people usually stay longer than they were ever going to plan on staying anyway. 
they like they you know and do you have any crossover do you have a program for volunteers and a separate kind of arrangement for guests that don't want to work or is everybody who come here required to contribute no, i have guests too you have guests yeah, and they just pay a little bit more and they're on their own yeah and we have a little cabin that we sometimes rent to people but um we you know have company too that don't pay anything you know family come or friends come and and but most of the time it's volunteers it really is you All know right. great and uh those volunteers generally find you how they find me on i think uh oh um volunteer latin america i think is the name most of it i would say the majority is word of mouth nice Okay. Yeah. And if anyone listening to this wants to find you, how, how can they find you? They can find me through, um, I have a Facebook mess a Facebook page called Pink Amrita. Okay. And also I have an, an email account, just Amrita Sa, Asocio Anonimo, at yahoo.com. That's, that's mostly how people do it. Yeah, but it's so much mostly word of mouth, really. And also Volunteer Latin America has us too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we, yeah. Great. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll put the links to your website and your Facebook page on the show notes of the episode. But just for anyone who's listening, Amrita is spelled A-M-R-T-A. So Finca Amrita with, there's no I, even though you might imagine that there is when yeah. hearing it. It's, it's a Sanskrit word and there's two dots over the R, which turns the er into a re. I see. Uh-huh. Okay. Tell us about Amrita. Where does that name come from? Why'd you choose it? It's the essence of the divine is what it means. And it's just this earth. It's mother earth. You know, Beautiful. It's really what it comes from. All right. Well, we're at the end here. Do you have any last parting words of advice for a young landowner that wants to make it work? It's it's a wonderful gift to give to to the planet. It really is. And especially during these times, it's a wonderful gift to teach people how to be on the earth and to work on the earth and to breathe the fresh air and to go in the river and breathe and have the electrolytes in the river covering them and and to be in community and to have other people and to cook together. I think it's one of the best gifts we can give to anybody. And um, really, you know, I, I've enjoyed, you know, it's been, it's been an amazing experience, you know, really. And I just, I've seen people literally come off their, their meds here, which scared me, completely scared me. But I've had people say, I'm stopping my meds. I go, no, you, you can't. You can't. You have to. I, let me look up, the, this, look up the name of it. And it says, you can't just stop it. And they look me straight in the eye, Jason, and go, I am getting off my meds today. And I'm scared, you know. But then they, I go, okay, you, if anything happens, you come and get me. It's never happened. And they're still off their meds. And this is like years and years. How fortunate. And it's because of the earth. It's because yeah. of the earth. Their their feet are on the earth. They're breathing the air. They're eating good food. They're around good energy, and you know people are on meds because they're living in a society that's really hard on anyone that's sensitive in any way. Yeah. So well, these meds are they're they're chemicals, and they are 
designed to alter our chemistry for a desired effect. And there just happened to be other ways to alter our chemistry. Exactly. Like the food we eat, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the company we keep, the emotions we allow to circulate, which affects our uh, adrenals and hormones and all of that. And yeah, there are definitely multiple ways to affect chemistry and everybody's dealing with something different. So it's no, true. not giving any advice here, but I do, I have seen similar cases where people have come to our farm and made that determination and it wasn't always easy, but they felt supported and they felt like it was a safe place for them to be themselves and to go through the process and trust in their own heart and their ability to evolve. And yeah, it's beautiful to see. It's beautiful. It's such a gift for just to put young people on mother earth, you know, because I mean, how many kids get up in the morning, get in the car, go to school, school all day on the cement, go home, never touch the earth, Yeah. never touch the earth. No, it, Im- it impacts one tremendously. Yeah. I was here for seven years. I went back to the States for four years and came- I've been back for the last year and I've noticed the difference drastically, dramatically, just full body, full being shift in being able to be in this environment. It's amazing, yeah. it's, it's so healing. It's so healing. Thank you so much for. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah. The rains are coming in. I know, it's, it's telling us it's, uh, <laughs> time to go ahead and say goodbye to everyone. And uh, yeah, we'll. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I mean, this is really important what you're doing. Really important. Thank you for that affirmation. And that is our visit with Susanna Left. The podcasting has finally begun. Deep gratitude to Susanna and the light that she's been in this community for so many years. I've always been impressed with Susanna's dedication for supporting her guests' personal needs and helping them find and express their passions. But even more so that this has been her primary marketing tactic all these years. People feel regularly compelled to spread the word about her place. If Susanna's story has sparked you in a special kind of way, Think Amrita does currently have a couple of lots for sale. At the time of this recording, there are two prime house sites available with commercial potential. It's a rural setting right next to a river, but it's close to town. If you're interested at all, her contact info can be found in the show notes. Personally, my early years traveling around the Americas, volunteering at various farms and communities left a strong imprint on me to want to not only continue that lifestyle, but to make it more accessible to others as well. It isn't always easy to live this lifestyle, and it takes a significant degree of personal growth to sustain it. But if we humans are going to make it through the changes to come, we're going to need more earth stewards and training grouts to guide them. If this topic interests you, make sure to subscribe to the Sharing Insights podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to leave a review so others can find us more easily. Be sure to check out the show notes too for some links to resources that came up in our conversation. You'll also find there a link to a video that we took of Susanna's farm. We checked out her greenhouse, gardens, volunteer kitchen, you know, a little something to round out the story. That's all for now. Thanks for listening.